First Samuel chapter number four. Hey Amen. Don't let this scripture reading scare you. First Samuel chapter four, verse number 17. I do want to say though, hey Amen, this will be our last service here for a while. I do want to say thank you to everybody for everything you've done, especially to Brother and Sister Regan. I know they're not here tonight, but I appreciate, love them very much. Thankful for everything they have done for us. Amen. And we're excited about what God has done and is doing. Amen. Looking forward to hearing good reports next Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. Amen. Revival's here. Praise God. First Samuel chapter 4, verse number 17. The messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. Speaking to Eli, thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. The ark of God is taken. It came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck brake and he died for he was an old man and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. And his daughter-in-law Phineas' wife was with child near to be delivered. When she heard the tiding that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself in travail for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not. For thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod. Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Praise God. For a few minutes tonight, I simply want to preach, Bring back the glory. Bring back the glory. Can you lift your hands? Ask God to have his way in this place. Hallelujah. 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 God, you're wonderful, Jesus. You are wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord, you're wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. The, 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 the instructions came from God. Amen. To build this thing we're talking about tonight called the Ark of the Covenant. It was built of acacia wood, shittim wood, four feet by two feet by two feet, lined and covered with gold. The lid was built of solid gold. The lid had a golden cherub at each end that looked down upon what we know as the mercy seat. The cherub's wings covered the ark. There were rings built into the ark for staves that were to be placed there for the carrying of the ark by the Levites. And uh, the Bible tells us many times where God communed from between the cherubims. That ark represented, if you would, the very glory and presence of God. Amen. You say, well, it was just a box. It was not just a box. Amen. That was a thing that they had to cover when they carried it. Amen. Nobody was able to lay eyes upon it. That represented the presence and glory of God. 
Amen. At one time, the ark housed the, tab- the tables of the law and the golden pot of manna and Aaron's staff which budded. Amen. We find later in life that all that's left is the tables of the law. But amen. At one time, it housed these three things. It was housed in the holies of holies, that place where only one time a year a man was able to go into the presence of God. Preach right now. I tell you what, we take for granted the opportunities we have to get into the presence of God. Amen. One time a year, one man could enter the presence of God. Yet every time that we want to, we can lift up our hands and invite the presence of God down, and we're in His presence. We don't have to be in the house of God. It don't matter where we are. We can reach out and get a hold of the presence of God. We are a privileged people. Amen. When traveling, the ark was covered by the veil. Levites alone could carry the ark. Amen. Try to speed along today. There were many times that the ark was involved in different miracles. When they crossed the Jordan River, when the Levites that carried the ark stepped into the Jordan River, the Jordan River began to pile up and the entire tribe of Israel was able to cross on dry land. The minute the priest got to the other side, the water began to flow again. When they compassed around Jericho, they followed the ark. When Ai defeated Israel because of the sin of Achan, where did Joshua go but before the ark? When they finally had possession of the promised land, the ark was placed at Shiloh where it dwelt for many, many years. Catch up to where we read today in the word of God. There is a battle against Israel, against the Philistines, and they go out, and in one day, 4,000 Israelites are killed, and, uh, and the battle obviously did not go their way. And they remembered the old times. They remembered those old stories of old uh, when they would bring the ark out, and victory would come with the ark. But to them, all the ark was was a symbol. They were not where they should be with God. They didn't talk to God. They just brought out the ark. They didn't repent. Sin was still there. Hophni and Phinehas were not good men. Amen. There was sin, rapid sin in their life. Amen. All the ark was to them was a sign or an ornament that had been around. It was just a little good luck charm if you would. So Hophni and Phinehas, these ungodly, immoral men, go and get the ark. And when they step into the camp, the people see it uh, and begin to scream and cheer to the point that the Philistines were frightened because they knew the power of God. They had heard the stories too. But the Philistines begin to talk to themselves Tell them that it wasn't that big of a deal. They could still do it. They pumped themselves up, if you would. Went to battle, and in one day, 30,000 Israelites fell. Hophni and Phinehas are killed, and the ark is taken. 
When the word comes back, Eli hears the news that his sons are dead. And I don't read in the story where there was any response. But when he hears that the ark was taken, he throws himself back in dismay, tips over, falls down, breaks his neck and dies. There we have this lady, Phineas' wife, who goes into labor when she hears the news. And this child is born, the son. She places upon him the name Ichabod, which literally means no glory or where is the glory. It's gone. The glory has departed. Philistines take this ark and lay it in front of Dagon, their god. The next morning they come in and Dagon is laying on his face before the ark. They think, well, maybe some wind came and blew in. And these men had to set their own God up. Their God couldn't even lift himself up. Think about it. They set him back up and everything is going to be okay. But the next day they come in and this time he's fell down. But his head and his hands are broken off as he lays before the ark. See, the most false gods can't stand in the presence of God. Amen. That's why sometimes there are certain spirits entering the house of God and there's a conflict because they're not comfortable in the presence of God. Amen. You want the sinner to be delivered? Amen. Bring down the fire. Bring down the presence of God. I'm telling you, them old false gods can't stand in the presence of an almighty God. Amen. No matter how long they've been around, you bring the fire down and them spirits got to go. Them spirits got to flee because they can't stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. Woo. Mm. Amen. You want to know why sometimes folks come in bound up and leave bound up? Amen. It's because we didn't do our job. We didn't get the presence in here. We didn't get God down here. We didn't worship like we should. We didn't pray like we should. But I'm telling you, when you get the fire hot, when the fire's burning, amen, those spirits, they cannot stand in the presence of God. Amen. You think it's no big deal if you take a service off. I'm telling you, it's a big deal. We can't afford to take one minute off, but we've got to give it our all and get the fire to fall. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you what, I remember as a boy, amen, when these spirit-filled people would come in, there was that fear that began to strike. I'll tell you what it ought not to be. We ought not to be intimidated by the forces of hell because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. We don't have to worry about what they bring in. All we've got to do is bring down the glory. Woo. 
Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, I believe that one time somebody comes in here and leaves still bound is one time too many. And all I can do is blame it on myself because I didn't do enough to create an atmosphere where God could move. God's power is not diminished. God is still able to deliver. But we've got to get the presence of God here. We've got to let the glory of God fill the house. We find that judgment falls on the people of Ashdod. They're smote with emeralds or tumors. They took the ark to Gath, same thing happened. They took it to Ekron, the same story. Their gods couldn't stand it, and neither could their people. And so they finally said, you know what? We've had enough of this thing. And so they gave a little offering and put some golden emeralds and some gold mice into the ark, representing their affliction and representing their leaders. Set it in the ark, bought a new cart, put it on a wagon, and sent it back to Israel. Goes into the house of a man by the name of Abinadab. And there, Eliezer, his son, was sanctified to take care of it. And there it sat. For 40 to 50 years, if my calculations are correct, through the entire 40-year reign of King Saul, Saul never cared to bring the glory back. But the house of Abinadab was blessed over and over because the glory was in the house. David becomes king and David had a different mentality than did Saul. David was a worshiper. And I don't know of anybody that likes to worship without the glory. Woo. So if I read my Bible correctly, he takes 30,000 men with him. That's a chunk of people. But he messed up. And he bought a new cart. And he loads the ark on this new cart. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving this cart. Two men, maybe, who had gotten a little too used to the ark. A little too accustomed to the glory. They forgot the penalty that was associated with the ark. Because there were only certain men that were allowed to touch it. If you touched it and weren't allowed to touch it, then what happened to Uzzah was what happened. Because they went over, they reached a threshing floor, and it began to shake a little bit. Some ruts in the road. And Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark. And pow! God strikes him dead. So they swing aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Hittite. And there the ark is left for the space of three months. And the blessings of God sit in the house of Obed-Edom. <clears throat> David was distressed. He was upset because he desired to bring up the ark. So what he did is he went and he 
opened up the word and began to read the law and discovered what he should have already known. <clears throat> First Chronicles 15 and verse number 12 said unto them, ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared it for, because ye did it not at the first. The Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. You see, I, I see in the word of God where David went down to get the ark the same way the Philistines brought it. Trying to use the methods of the world to bring back the glory. Trying to bring back the methods of those that did not serve the true and living God to bring down the glory. But he said we didn't do it right the first time. So this time we're going to do it right. We're going to go see what the word of God says. We're going to see what the law says. Because we didn't seek him after the due order. We didn't do it right. Amen, I've seen over the last few years, amen, a desire in the church to use the methods of the world to try to manufacture a move of God. But I'm telling you, if you want to know the true glory of God, if you really want to know his glory, you've got to do it the old-fashioned way. You've got to seek him. You've got to search after him with your whole heart. We don't need props. We don't need little things here and there to bring down the glory. We don't need the fancy cart of the world. We need some sanctified men of God to carry the glory. He said we didn't do it right. So the priest and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. They got those old Levites out there it was the old-fashioned way. They didn't have the old fancy cart, the best cart out that was out there, the newest model. That was not the plan of God. God's plan was for some Levites, some men that he had separated out for the service of the house of God. It was his plan for them to carry that ark upon their shoulders with the staves through the rings. And so they bore it. And David spoke to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries, and harps and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice 
with joy. They went to get that ark, but this time they did it the right way. They brought it up with singing. They brought it up with shouting. They brought it up with sacrifice. They brought it up with dancing. I don't see a calm, sophisticated, reverent group of people. But what I see is a bunch of folks that were excited because the glory was coming back to a house of worship. They were singing, all types of instruments playing. They were shouting. And the Bible said that David danced before the Lord with all his might. Well, man, I don't know about that. Somebody might make fun of me if I do that. I like to be calm and sophisticated and reverent, pious. Well, that wasn't David that day. The king, the kingly man left his kingly robes at home, clothed himself in the linen ephod, came home to bless his house. Michael came to meet him, said, how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. Riding the high because the glory came home. David turned and said to her, you know what? It was before the Lord, which chose me before your father. He said, now I'm going to go ahead and, I love this, play before the Lord. And if you think this was bad, I will yet be more vile than thus. And will be base in mine own sight. Now, folks, I don't know how to dance. I don't even know if I know how to jump right. But you know what? I ain't doing it to look good. I don't care how I look to anybody else. Because you know what I want? I want the glory. I want the glory in my life. before the Lord, if I've got to look vile, if I've got to get out there and look crazy, I don't care. I want the glory. I want the glory. sometimes in life where we've been living for God but things aren't quite like they used to be. We're not feeling the same power. We're not feeling that same touch. We don't have that same joy. We don't have the same peace. We don't have that fulfillment. We're missing something. I'm telling you somewhere the glory's departing and it's time to
tonight to reach out and bring the glory back. There was some 50 years most likely, amen, where Israel did not have that glory in that chief place, in that house of worship, shoved off somewhere in some man's house. But there was a king who was a worshiper has said more than anything else, I desire the glory. Whatever I've got to do. He messed up. And sometimes we try to bring back the glory on our own terms. Hey man, but somewhere we got to go back to the book and bring it back on his terms. Don't go to sleep on me now. Hey man, I don't want to go one day with the glory out of my life. Imagine a worse thing than to have Ichabod written in my life. The glory was there, but now is no more. Ichabod, Ichabod. People try all kinds of crazy things wanting to have some taste of the glory. Simon the sorcerer saw the apostles laying hands upon people and them filled with the Holy Ghost and tried to buy the power to do so. Was soundly rebuked, but still he tried to buy it. But it's not for sale. Well, hallelujah. It's not for sale. We can't buy it with our money. Well, hallelujah. Am I hitting a sore subject tonight? We can't buy the glory. The glory's not for sale. Hallelujah. We can't buy the glory. We got to submit to the will of God. We got to do it according to the word of God. And let the glory come down. The sons of Sceva. They heard about this Paul. Who by the name of this man Jesus was casting out devils. And they found themselves a devil possessed individual. And so they went. And they called on the name of Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And the Spirit said, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. But who are you? And um, things didn't turn out real well for him. In fact, that man turned on them. And the Bible says they ran out of their beaten and naked. He done whooped them bad. Because they were trying to do something when they didn't know the man. They didn't know 
the true God. They were calling on something they heard of, but did not know. We can't bring back the glory on our terms. We can't bring it back on our terms. We can't get it the first time on our terms. I know as that seven-year-old boy, I had a great idea of how I wanted to get the Holy Ghost. Hey, man. The preacher was going to come. He was going to attack me. We spit flying everywhere. I was going to go flopping out on the floor, kicking and screaming. Does God fill me with the Holy Ghost? Sound like a great deal. When God filled me with the Holy Ghost, it's on the far corner of this side of the church. My left, your right. My mom on one side, my Sunday school teacher on the other side. No man anywhere in sight. God filled me kneeling at the altar with the Holy Ghost. Didn't happen on my terms. But it happened when I got hungry enough for it that I just reached out to God and he filled me with the Holy Ghost. Two-week revival, 26 people received the Holy Ghost. The night that I got the Holy Ghost, there was two of us. Amen. Of that 26, we're the only two still living for God. That's not great statistics, but I'm telling you, it was something special happened that night when the glory came down. Well, hallelujah. I've known folks that don't want to look silly when they get the Holy Ghost, when the glory comes. We had this man, I've probably told you this story before, but he had been a high school state champion wrestler. He still in his early 30s was still wrestling in competitions. He's a very stout fella. Thought he was a lady killer. He was a tough guy. Wasn't going to look silly when he got the Holy Ghost. And so he just didn't get it for the space of about two years of seeking it every service. Because he was wanting to look calm and dignified and cool while he got the Holy Ghost. The night he finally got the Holy Ghost, him and his uncle got it the same night. His uncle I've told you about as well. He was the biker that got the Holy Ghost underneath the front pew. And uh, old John was over there in the corner. Amen. Power of God hit him and his hands started shaking. And it had happened one time before and he stopped it because he thought he looked silly. But that night he said, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and let it, let it play its course, see what happens. And pretty soon both hands are shaking. He flopped out on the floor, laid in the fetal position with his hands just a shaking. As all of a sudden he started speaking in tongues as God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And I will confess to you, he looked kind of silly that night. But I'm telling you what, that's the way God wanted to bring the glory down. One of the keys to David, I believe, was when he said, I will be base in mine own sight. When we worship him, it's not to look cool and it's not to fit in. It's because he's worthy of our praise. It's because we want to experience his presence. And we need to feel his glory. And we're thankful for what he's done for me. I'm not doing it for you. I'm not doing it because of you. I'm doing it for him. 
I'm doing it to lift him up and to put myself down, to abase myself that he might be glorified. I wonder sometimes if we just haven't got a little too professional in the apostolic church. I am on my father's side, actually both sides of my family. I am fourth generation Pentecost. My great grandfather on my mother's side was a preacher. And on my father's side, my grandpa and my dad. Third generation preacher on my dad's side of the family. Been around it all my life. It's all I've ever known. And I've seen a few things in my 37 years. I've heard stories of how it was back when my great-grandfather preached in the Brush Harbor days, pastor a little church in Paris, Texas, evangelized through Texas and Oklahoma back in the 1920s and 30s. It's a different life then. Ramshackle church buildings, wood floors, wood slap pews, if they had pews. Sometimes it was just a board across the bench. Sometimes it was just benches in sawdust underneath the brush arbors. But over and over again, the glory fell. The glory fell. Genuine people dressed in their Sunday best, rolling in the sawdust under the power of God. Well, we sit here tonight in a warm building. And sometimes we complain because it gets a little too hot or a little too cold. Sitting on padded pews. I'm walking on padded carpet. In comfortable shoes. Well, it's quiet now. And we wonder sometimes why we don't have the moves of God that they had. I've read some books of how it was back in the old days of evangelizing. And I'm not going to lie to you. I prefer to evangelize in this day than in that. I've read stories of them jumping onto a bus or a train because God told them to go to a town where they knew nobody. They'd go to a town, they'd find a little place or set a tent up, begin to hold services, rotten tomatoes being thrown, beer cans being thrown, little mischievous folks knocking the tent poles down in the middle of service, preachers beaten because the town tough guy didn't want them to be there. But yet they continued on and the glory fell. Well, I don't know why I'm going this way tonight. 
But I'm telling you, there's a genuine deep down desire in me to see his glory. To know his glory. To see that old glory cloud come and fill a building. I've heard about it. I've never seen it in my life. That glory cloud is coming to hover. Such a rich presence of God. Folks getting drunk in the Holy Ghost, where hours later they're still speaking in tongues, unable to talk in English because the glory came down. I want the glory to come back. We've experienced the glory of God, I believe, in this place tonight. And I'm so thankful for it. But I also believe that's just a little scratch on the surface of what God really wants to give all of us. We read about the day of Pentecost where they were filled with the Holy Ghost, all 120 of them. And yet when they spilled out into the streets, they were still speaking in tongues. So the folks all around them heard them speaking in their native tongue and glorifying God. What had happened, the glory fell. Guess I'm just going to be a little blunt tonight. I guess y'all have figured out by now I am that way sometimes. But I'm telling you, I'm tired of over and over again getting a little taste of the glory and being content with the taste. summer when we were in Washington the pastor that we were out preaching for was having major stomach issues could not eat if he swallowed food it just stuck he couldn't it wouldn't go into his stomach so he could not eat period fourth of July celebration he he grilled up some elk steaks and I'm telling you what they were good I had three of them I think it was and he wanted to taste it so bad that he cut off a piece put it in his mouth and chewed on it and then spit the whole thing out because he couldn't swallow it. Did it a couple times, but I said, so was it good? He said, man, he said, I don't know. It's hard when you can't really, really eat it. Just get a little taste. I said, well, let me tell you something. It was good. Why? Because I ate it. He just got a little taste, but I got to enjoy it. I'm not content tonight with just a little taste, but I want to bring back the glory. If it means stepping out, whoo, if it means looking like a crazy man, leaving the old kingly robes behind, putting on the linen ephod, and said, today I'm not a king. Today I'm just a worshiper. Today I'm just a man that wants to experience the glory. 
friend of mine called me the other day talking about that little story, little point that he'd never seen before. Shared it with me. Amen. Don't ever share a thought with me. He talked about how David was such a worshiper. David was known as the man after God's own heart. David lived a fruitful life. But Michael, who we talked about already, sat there and mocked him, ridiculed him, jumped him, mocked his worship. From that day forward, Michael was barren, unfruitful, no children. If you want a fruitful life tonight, why don't you be a worshiper? You want to sit on a seat of judgment? You're going to live a barren life, barren of the glory of God. There was a man I preached for one time, told me a story. He evangelized for, I think it was 17 years. He was in revival in a church for several weeks. Nothing happening, nothing breaking. This was a man that could get anybody shouting, it seemed like. He's this tremendous man. Nothing breaking. And he was just troubled and seeking God. And he said it was like a neon sign flashing in his mind that simply said, Ichabod. Closed the revival out that week, went on to the next church. And I believe if I remember the story correctly, was it too much longer and the church shut the doors, gone, because the glory had departed. I want to tell you something. There could be no worse thing to me than to have Ichabod written across my forehead saying the glory has departed. I remember camp meetings when I was a young person shouting with my friends, dancing all up around the front. Remember this one man, he came, young guy, he was a couple years older than me. He is rough as a cob. He's from a church that I grew up around and knew him, I known him all my life. He was a troublemaker. He was wild and unruly. Came to camp and probably more to cause trouble than anything. But something gripped him that gripped him that year at camp. And he began to seek God. The last night of youth camp, we always had a big lock-in afterwards. We'd get there about 11 o'clock at night till 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, something like that. And then they'd try to get us corralled into bed for a couple hours. They tried. Amen. They weren't always successful, but they tried. That day he prayed, and I'm telling you, he started speaking in tongues. God filled him so powerfully that... When finally service was over, it was getting close to time to leave for the lock-in. Amen. They had to carry him to his dorm room. You tried talking to him, all he could do was talk in tongues. 
We get to the gym. He's sitting over in the corner and he still couldn't talk in English. Every time someone came, he'd just break out speaking in tongues again all night long. Went home that Sunday night. It hit him again. Boom. Amen. Same story again. Someone had to drive him home. If that had been the end of the story, it'd be a great story. It wasn't too many years, days really, that Travis was back to being what Travis had always been. And today he's as far away from God as a person can get. And if something doesn't change, he's going to have Ichabod. Because I'm telling you, the glory was there. I saw the glory. And now it's gone. It's not too late for Travis. He's still living. And if there comes a day he desires that the glory can come back. And I'm telling you, if you're cold in your spirit tonight, tonight would be a great night to bring the glory back. Why well, walk out of this place tonight still cold, still angry, still bitter, still stirred up? Things of this life. But why don't you let the glory sweep back in so many years Israel lived without the glory but David said we're going to do it the right way this time it's time to stop our little cheap imitations saying, God, whatever I've got to do, I need your glory. I want your glory. Got to have your glory in my life. Don't really know how to end this tonight. If you'd stand with me tonight. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I, I feel this so strong tonight. It's time to bring back the glory. One day without the glory is one day too many. One day too wrapped up in the things of this life is one day too many. If I've got to step out and dance before everybody, nobody else is moving. If, I, if I've got to step out there, hey, I love feeling it right now. But hey, I'm telling you, if you'll step out and begin to worship God, you may not feel it when you start. But I'm telling you, it won't be too long. And the fire will start to fall. The glory will start to fall. Amen. If you're going to wait for God to tell you to worship, you might wait just a little bit too long. If you're going to wait till you feel something, you may not feel something. But I'm telling you, if you'll step out in your flesh, amen, start to worship God. It won't take very long and you'll start to feel something. I don't know that I believe that David began to dance when the first trumpet started to blow, but somewhere something hit him and he couldn't contain himself. He couldn't stand still anymore. And he danced with all his might. Because the glory was coming home.